Well, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to be talking about treasure of the heart this morning. And, you know, I get this question asked often. It's like, hey, what, Pastor, what do you think God is doing in these times of sheltering and quarantine? What is God up to? Is Jesus coming back soon? Like, why did God allow COVID to happen and separate us from each other? Isn't that like the tactic of the devil is to isolate us so that we would be sheltered and quarantined? You know, I can't tell you precisely what God is doing in this time of sheltering, but I can tell you what God has done during and after times of sheltering in the Bible. And once we review the truth of history, I think you're going to find out what he's going to do this time as well. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book, Sheltering God, he delineates a biblical history of God working in times of sheltering. God sheltered Noah and his family for one year in the ark until Noah emerged to become the father of all nations of the world. God sheltered Jacob in the home of his uncle Laban when he needed to escape the wrath of his brother Esau. And 20 years later, Jacob emerged with a new family, with new wealth, with new identity from Jacob to Israel as God's chosen people. God sheltered Joseph from his 17th year to his 30th. But his slavery and his prison became the school where God prepared him for greatness and saved the nation of Egypt as well. God sheltered Moses in the remote desert in Midian for 40 years. But Moses came forth to liberate the Jewish people from Egypt. God sheltered Naomi in the barren land of Moab until she became nearly bitter but she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, traveled to Bethlehem to participate in one of the greatest love, histories, love stories in history. God sheltered David 15 years after first being anointed king of Israel. And when David finally assumed the throne, he was a man after God's own heart, and he gave, him, and he gave us many of the Psalms. God sheltered Elijah by the brook of Sherith, and after the sheltering, he stood alone against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God sheltered Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and when the sheltering was over, he preached to Nineveh one of the greatest revivals of all time. God sheltered Daniel for seven years in Babylon, where he wrote this Old Testament book bearing his name, outlining the future of God's dealing with his people. God sheltered the disciples in the upper room for 10 days until the Holy Spirit descended in dramatic fashion to form and to fashion the church. God sheltered Paul in the Arabian desert for three years, and when he came back, he turned the world upside down. God later sheltered Paul in a Roman prison. And by the time the apostle was free, he had written the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, 
and Philemon. God sheltered the Apostle John to a small island in Patmos and the book of Revelation, the greatest prophetic document of all time, is given to us. God sheltered, lastly and most incredibly, Jesus in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, Jesus came forth in power to bring salvation to the whole world. So, no, I don't know all the details of what God is going to do, but what I do know is that what He has done, and, and that is what we can count on. The God who sheltered His people in biblical ways won't stop now. So come what may, I'm trusting, I'm inviting you to trust the sheltering God to be our refuge and our strength. Isaiah 25 verse 4 says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, and here it is, a shelter in the storm, from the storm, and a shade from the heat. What has God been doing in your life these last four months of quarantine and sheltering? We learned about the Beatitudes, the importance of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How spiritual poverty before God and repentance from self-sufficiency. We learned about mourning, that we respond to God in brokenness of our own sin. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you developed that spiritual appetite to hunger for God? Or are you hungry for security? Are you hungry for safety? Or do you want God alone? We learned about anger and holding marriage in high regard, about speaking with integrity. Let your yes be yes, and yet your no's be no's. Learn about retaliation, not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but we learn to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 6, we learn about the importance of giving in secret, of praying and developing a spiritual connection to God through private prayer. And lastly, we learn about fasting, that we fast and hunger before God. And so, let's turn to our text in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, 
concludes that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So in the pursuit of maturity or perfection, just like our Heavenly Father, the disciples of Jesus, we're going to go through and we're going to encounter everyday concerns that could potentially, if we allow them, it can derail and it could deter us from this undivided royalty to the kingdom and its righteousness. Jesus talks here on the importance of health and our, excuse me, our wealth, that Jesus warns against the everyday concerns about wealth, that we, he's concerned that we may lay up um, earthly treasure instead of heavenly treasure. Next week, we're going to talk about worry, that instead of worrying, we need to trust God, seek first his kingdom, which can rob us the priority of the kingdom of God in our lives. And so this morning, Jesus, he teaches his disciples how to properly live with the priority of the kingdom and its righteousness, our ideal, our vision, our priorities, our security, it's all centered in God and in the gospel of Jesus. So there's three main sections for us this morning and three corresponding points. These three uh, pericopes would, has three action points that Jesus wants to have for us. Number one, would you write down in your notes, don't value wealth and possessions enough to seek after them. So fill that in, value and seek after don't value wealth and possessions enough to seek after them let's read verse 19 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves what treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal and here's the conclusion for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So verse 19, Jesus starts with this negative command of storing up. Uh, the Greek word there is theisaurizo, which means to keep safe that which is of great value. It means to treasure up or to keep safe. And what Jesus does here is that he has a play on words with do not lay up, that the word there is actually do not treasure earthly treasures. And what is a treasure? It's riches or treasure or wealth. Um, in Jesus' days, you had two choices when you had wealth, okay, or treasure. One is you could hide it in your house. But the bad thing with that, this is before really the advent of steel and, you know, um, brick and and cement so what the people thieves could easily break in and steal your treasure a second option is to go somewhere and hide and dig and bury your your treasure and oftentimes they would put like fine linen like expensive clothes the average person back then only had one set of clothes okay and Jesus says, hey, the moth, the worms, the vermin, the rats, it, they're just going to destroy it. And what Jesus is saying here is these temporal, temporary treasures don't 
treasure it. Don't value it. That you're going to seek and center your life around the pursuit of possessions and of stuff. What does it mean to not store up earthly treasures? I think Jesus uh, defines that for us in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, verse 15. Then Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kind of what? Greed. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain man, certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18, this is what he says to himself. This is what I'll do. I will tear down and I will build bigger ones. There I will restore my surplus grain. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And what, what was Jesus' response in verse 20? But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The crucial sentence is when Jesus calls this man who stores up. It's like, oh, I have too much stuff. I have a windfall with my stocks, my equity in my home. It's gone up. Like, what do I do? Jesus says, man, you fool. Why does Jesus call him a fool? He calls him a fool because he was not rich toward God. Hmm. What does that mean to not be rich toward God? Surely, for sure, it doesn't mean that give God lots of money. Because God doesn't need any money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. He has the cattle of a thousand hills. Psalm chapter 50 verse 10. Being rich toward God doesn't mean to enrich God. I think it means that we are to count God as our riches. If you're looking about for where to be rich at, Focus on God. He is your great reward. He is my great reward. He is my riches. He is your riches. John Piper says, Therefore, laying up treasures for yourselves in heaven will be living in such a way as to maximize God as your treasure. Handle your money in such a way as to show that God, not money, is your treasure. What happens when we treasure God, when we don't treasure possessions? All these things are temporary. Thieves break in and steal. Moth come, uh, will come and destroy. Rust will destroy the precious coins that we've, that we've saved up for. The result of laying up treasure is two things. Here's the two ways. When we put God first, when we treasure God above all else. The first thing is this, that God will help you in your time of need now, in the present. If you seek his kingdom, 
seek his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Everything that you need, the food, the clothing, the shelter, everything that you need, the health, will be added unto you. Trust God. How many of you played Truth or Dare growing up? It's kind of thrilling. Do you know God in Malachi chapter 3 says, trust me, put me to the test. If you invest, if you don't count your riches, your material possession, your stuff, your 401k, your home, your cars, your jewelry, if you don't count that as, possess, as your treasure, but if you count me as your treasure, if you're rich towards me, if I am your riches, if I am the content of your heart, if I'm the apple of your eye, if, if you love me first, man, and you give, man, all these things I'll be added unto you. Put me to the test. I'll open the floodgates of heaven. When you and I give, God will help us in our time of our need, in the, in the time of our need now, in the present. But the double meaning is this, that God will have treasure for you in the world to come, in the future. That as we invest now, your father who sees in secret, if Jesus is your treasure, that you fast because you hunger after him. If Jesus is your treasure, that you seek his kingdom, that you pray, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. If Jesus is your treasure, that you give because these earthly possessions, they come and they go. But as we put Jesus as our treasure, we are going to have a treasure in the life to come. We will reap heavenly treasure. Number two, would you write down, develop a singular focus of generosity. Develop a singular, a laser-like focus of what? Generosity. What do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 22. The eye is the what? The lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now notice Jesus says how the eye is singular. He doesn't say eyes, plural, like two eyes, but he says one eye. Now, the single eye that you and I have, right, it's either, it could either be bad or it could be evil. Now, Jesus is using a play on words here because a single eye, a good eye, normally meant a generous eye. But if you had a bad eye, the word bad there in Greek, is paneros, meaning it's bad, it's worthless, it's diseased or it's stingy. If you have a bad eye, that you, that you have a stingy eye, that you're closed fist, closed hearted. Now, during that time, many, you need to catch this, okay? Many people believed that light was emitted from the eye, that from within you, it enabled you to see rather than the light was admitted through the eye. In other words, what goes on in your heart emanates and from if you, in other words, if you and I 
are singular in our focus of generosity. We look through the world, it emanates, and we see the world through generosity. But if we see the world through a bad eye, an unhealthy eye, a stinginess, a selfishness, it would jade and it would cloud the way that you see the world. When we don't have a singular focus of generosity, Jesus says our eye is bad or it's worthless. And if what emanates in you is not just generosity but stinginess, Jesus says it is darkness. What comes out of you and how you see the world, your paradigm then, and your worldview is darkness. That if you're stingy, you have a cynical, a pessimistic worldview. The lens that you see your relationship in the world, the way that you look at it, is one of contemptuousness. You're sarcastic, jaded. You will have a difficult time loving those around you because love believes in the best. Now, the, the example that I can think of is Judas Iscariot. Remember Judas Iscariot? Before Jesus was supposed to be going to the cross, Mary gave this extravagant, this lavish act of worship where she broke her alabaster jar and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and anointed him for his death. Jesus saw Mary's beautiful and extravagant act of worship to anoint Jesus and he saw it as what? Wasteful. Why? Because he was greedy. Why? Because he was um, selfish. He was stingy. And his true motive in the Gospel of John says what? He wasn't really, con he's like, man, what are you doing? What's this woman, Mary, doing? She's wasting money. This could be given to the poor. But John says, no, no, no. He was only doing that because he kept the money for himself. I think what that looks like today is sometimes we justify our actions of being stingy and not being generous. If your eye is bad, if you're stingy, the way that you see the world will be jaded. You'll be sarcastic. You'll be cynical. And it usually goes with, for example, the homeless or the needy and the poor. How come we don't give if we're not generous and if we're selfish? We don't give. Why? And we, we, the way we see it is like, oh, psh, I'm not going to give my hard-earned money. I work for that. They're just going to spend it on drugs. They're just going to spend it on alcohol. They're just going to waste their money. That's why they're there in the first place. Do you see here Jesus teaching that if we don't have a singular focus of generosity, it will completely distort the way that we view the world. A bad and unhealthy eye is a cynical way 
and we want to justify it. Oh, Jesus, help us to be open-handed and to be open-hearted. That the eye, the way that we see the world is through the lens of generosity and that would display and that would inform how we see and we view the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And lastly, I'll close with this. Have an undivided allegiance to God. Have an undivided, meaning a whole, it's not fragmented, allegiance to God. In our text this morning, we can see how, how our hearts can be divided between earthly treasure and what? Heavenly treasure, between selfishness, a bad eye, and generosity, which is a healthy eye, and between serving money or serving God versus when we think about fear versus faith, anxiety versus confidence in who God is, our hearts are fickle and we're emotional beings. We want to quit when we should persevere. We want to tap out and say, I'm done, when we should instead press on to the upward call of God. We want to condemn and criticize instead of being merciful and loving. That's why Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me a what? Undivided, a whole heart, that I may fear your name. Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, nor will he be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the ancient Near East, two masters rarely shared one slave. And if they did, it always, and to catch this, it always led to divided interest. The word serve there. It can be translated as worship, but primarily in this context, it means to act or to conduct oneself in total service to another. It means to perform the duties of the slave or it means to obey. You could only obey one master, Jesus says. You could eat either God or money. Now, the interesting thing here is that G Jesus does not use the regular Greek word for money there. Because okay, usually in Matthew 25, 18, 1 Corinthians 3, 12, Matthew 28, 15, Jesus used and Paul used argurion, which is the Greek word for silver. But Jesus here, he uses this Aramaic word mammon or mammon, which means worldly wealth and riches or possessions. And what Jesus does here is that he almost... He personifies, he's giving human-like, um, he's attributing human-like um, qualities to an inanimate object, which is mammon, money. So what Jesus is saying here, man, money and wealth, this can become an idol. Either you're going to treasure God or you're going to treasure stuff. A nice car, a nice house, vacation home nice clothes, 
nice shoes, like either it's going to be stuff or money or it's going to be, you're going to be treasuring God. Let's go ahead and close with Luke here. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Have an undivided allegiance to God. May your ambition, may your treasure be Christ and Christ alone. Jesus, he provides three things here, which I love. First of all, he starts off with says, fear not. We tend to be afraid. We think that, man, if I give this much to the church, or if I give this much to that ministry, or give that much to the poor, I might not have enough for myself. Jesus says, fear not, what? Little flock. If Jesus calls us little flock, what is he? God is our shepherd. And he says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure. So not only do we have good shepherd, but now we have a father and a shepherd. And thirdly, it is his good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. Shepherd, father, and king. This is who God is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is Yahweh, I am who I am. I, I am who I will be. I will be who I will be, whatever you need me to be, a father, a shepherd, and king, I will do that for you. Why is Jesus shepherd? Why is he a shepherd? Because a shepherd knows everything that a sheep needs to live and to provide for them. Why is God our Father? Because fathers take incredible care with their children. Why is God our King? Because God has the authority and the power to get it done. God is all of that for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't, don't be worried but be lavish, be generous, be cheerful givers. Treat God as your treasures above all treasures. Then show how much he is by giving and giving to those in need. Is Jesus your treasure this morning? I pray that your hearts, St. Augustine says, our hearts were created for you, O God, and may our hearts be restless until they find its rest in you. No amount of ambition that you can carry, that you're pursuing right now, accomplishment, accolade, can fill the void and the emptiness of your life. Only Jesus, the King, the Shepherd, the Father can do that for you. 
I pray that he would be your treasure this morning, that you would be undivided in your loyalty to him. In this season of COVID, may you treasure God more than anything. Your job can go, your career can go, your health, it could go just like that. But what is eternal is God and a relationship with him. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come to you, God, because you are everything that we need. We shall not lack, Lord. You lead us beside stream waters. You cause us to lie down in green pastures. You restore our souls. So, Father, I pray right now, those, Lord, within hearing within the sound of my voice, that they would surrender their lives to you. And if that's you this morning, would you just, there's a little button on the website that says, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you click on that and press that and we'll pray with you? Your, I just pray right now, Lord God, that there will be a restlessness, that there will be a spiritual dissatisfaction to the things of this world. Lord, that the things that we used to take great pleasure in and that take our greatest treasure in, Lord, that there would be such a distaste that it would be foul in our mouth, oh Lord God, that it will not do anymore. Lord, may we come before you, God, just like the disciples in John chapter 6. Lord, where else can we go? Where else can we turn for you alone have words of eternal life? Lord, we were created by you and we we're created for you. So I just pray right now. And if you want to receive Jesus this morning, could you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me your son. Jesus, come into my life. Would you be my savior? Save me from my sins. Save me from the power of my sin. And Lord, would you be my God? That I would love you. That I would follow you. That I would obey you. Fill the desires of my heart, O oh God that nothing else will satisfy except you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, you guys.